turn, if you would, to Mark, our teaching in 1 Kings, where we left off last week. I'm getting there to mark my place. And we're going to pick it up, closing out chapter 10, 1 Kings, closing out chapter 10, beginning in verse 14 through 29. Last week, probably to humor you, but it does have a substantiated picture for us. And the title, if you were here or not, was this, the Queen of Bling pays homage to her king. That was the Queen of Sheba. And we know that she was historically authentic. She had imperial power. She had come a long way, determined in the neighborhood of 1,400 miles to travel with her entourage. And it was to see the king whom she had heard about, marveled. He was a mystery until in seeing him, as we said before, she was left speechless. That was a dramatic word that I used. For we do know that she had many questions to ask of him. He failed in answering none of them. And we also saw that she was a woman that had with her the treasuries of her country. And that's pretty awesome when you see actually what she did with her treasury. She's written off the pages as we continue to move through this, but you're also needing to anticipate Sobel Solomon. As we close on this, we'll have one more chapter in which the determination of his lineage will be severely wounded because of what the scriptures have told us he will have transgressed. The heart of God, the word of the Lord, he didn't follow with the protocols that God had put before him. And it's important to also recognize that in our life, the decisions that we make in honoring the Lord have everything to do with how very often our lives can be enjoyed or even for a season groaned through. It does not mean that because of hardships that we go through, it's, necessary, it's necessarily our fault. And that's important to know. God doesn't look at us and blame us. We can find ourselves in the difficulties at seasons that we will, in intervals, move through. And it can be our tendency to do that. But remember, from the pooling of all of humanity, God allows lessons to be shown to people. He allows faith to be tested. And one of the things that he receives in our testings, trials and triumphs, is glory. So whatever you may be going through, 
you're part of a story that he's writing of himself and of you simultaneously. What will you do? What will you do? Carl Malden once said, advertising for American Express. He was the cop figure back in the 60s and 70s. Great actor. What will you do? What will you do? And so the title, I don't know if it's posted, but it looks like it is, Positions, Possessions, or Divine Concessions. The concessions simply mean they are allowances by one who has the ability to give you allowances. One might say, remembering our childhood, I got an allowance from Dad. We never did, per se, unless it concerned a haircut. Then the colonel shelled out two bits. Boys, go down and get your haircut. We hated it. But back on the military base, he had MPs that would see that we got that done. If we found ourselves getting lost en route to the barber, we were picked up by the MPs <laughs> and delivered to the barber. You can see they did a good job. But my father made sure that his investment in me and my brothers would have an effect that he would be able to measure in what he saw on the return. So the analogy would be similar in this. Solomon was endowed many times more in what he would possess than his father David. And that's so like God to continue to bless progressively the generations that succeed or are moving in succession. It doesn't necessarily mean that those generations are doing any better, but it does show you the overwhelming evidence of God's grace in spite of what we do, contrary to God's will, and in abundance over what we could ever say we deserve. Solomon is highlighted because he is a picture of a kingdom that will have revenue beyond imagination. For the Lord himself, the greater value of anything that could be amassed, accumulated, stored in banks, he is the wealth and treasure of the world. And people, those in position, those who have possessions, will be brought before him to render and yield all that they have begrudgingly. Maybe some might. It will be irrelevant. Most will say, who are we to withhold anything from majesty? For he will be majesty, unveiled, unfettered. He will be supreme in everything. And we know what we do when we have encountered something so magnificent, so grand, we are in awe of it. The picture is actually what the Queen of Sheba was. She was in awe of him. More so will we be in the kings and lords and princes of the nation when the Lord comes back with his church and there's a reign of righteousness for a thousand years. It will be amazing. 
So moving into this text right now and playing off of this title, let's see what we see. There are pictures here that give an advance of what Revelation will speak about. We have some Proverbs that we'll look into as well. We'll just read them and see how they are linked to this theme. Here we go. Picking it up at 14, giving us basically a line item list of inventory that was in the possession of Solomon. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Some of you breaking out in the sweat. Oh, did, was, is that 666? Well, it is in expanded notation. It is indeed undeniable. Does that mean figuratively that he is a picture of Antichrist? For if you have studied, and you have, you know that that will be a number that will be associated with the one who is against God, known as Antichrist, known as the beast. And it's important to see perhaps its relationship here. It's not vexing what God has done with Solomon, but it does give us a clue on ultimately what happens to the heart when there is an influence and all of that influence is setting a man on a trajectory of failure because of what he has as opposed to who he acknowledges as the giver of what he possesses. And so all of us as believers know that without God, we have nothing. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And so it leaves us really compelled to say, then why would I want to strive both against God, who has told me this, and why would I want anything other than God? This cue here is, I believe, simply a future picture, meaning that corruption will find itself in what will be men's God, finances. And knowing that, Antichrist will use that as a means by which no man, woman, or child will be able to live in his temporary dominion without receiving a mark that will allow them to initiate commerce, to buy and sell. And I can anchor you there. So if you would allow me to direct your eyes to Revelation 13, it will be a good thing to look at. And I think also an anticipation of what we see even in the markets today. What does it do? It causes panic. What does it do? It breaks people who have vast investments, fortunes that all of a sudden are only geared to benefit them if the stocks remain the same or profit through other investors. And once there is panic, either imposed by other world nations that are moving in flex and flex with the market, moving towards recession, high inflation that warns of what we also have come through at times in world history, depression, it scares you. 
because you're realizing that what you have isn't going as far as it once did. You realize that without the means of being able to purchase with power, you're limited in what you perceive as your strength. And this is manipulative. Right now, I would say that it is simply what we find it to be, just the way that in decision-making through governments, you're seeing that there's a weakening of what we see on our side, the dollar. And because our dollar has been placed at such high economic value, it literally does influence the value of other money systems, then the world begins to reel and groan. So what do they try to do? They try to get it under control. But how they control it also can have consequences rather than ultimately benefiting. But in Revelation 13, this passage ties into it. I'm just asking you to link it. In verse 13, the beast is on the scene. He's controlling the world scene. He's affecting markets. It is not capitalism. No one's getting away with nothing. The only thing that they will be required to do is give up everything. And that's alarming. That doesn't have to happen to anyone who has an ear to hear. And this passage will tell us that we need to be those who both hear, apply, and pray for those who are dodging the issue. They're too busy trying to dig into their portfolios. We all want a secure future, but our security of the future is only found in our investment in heaven, the things that please God. Here it is in verse 16. He, the beast, causes all, both man and great, or both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark. Where is it? The mark is on their right hand or on their foreheads. Verse 17, the consequence. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, verse 18. Let him who has understanding calculate the number, it says, of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. There was, a, I think, a very great song rendition on this verse written by some really amazing Christian artists, two guys named DeGarmo and Key. One of them has passed away. They might both have done that. But they actually had a notoriety in song, and it was called 666. They did a pretty good job of it. Again, there's a mystery. I'm just correlating this with what we find right now in this chapter back in Kings. And the reason being is that it's telling us that even those who have, as the title suggests, a divine concession from God, we are all vulnerable. The concession simply means that God has allowed us to have seasons of strength and finances, and in and of itself, that is not bad. It's not wrong. It's what you do with it when you got it. It was interesting. We got back from the wedding last night. Zach and I took off 
on what you would call the earlier late side. And the gas tank was just glowing, you know, that warning light that says, going down, ain't going to make it to the next hill. And I looked at Zach. His faith was bigger than mine. <laughs> it's okay. We can get to Brookings. We can make it to Chevron. I said, Zach, I love your faith. It's just that I think I would loathe the consequences right now. I'm freezing. I think we can make it. I'm not sure. The vehicle that we're in, it drinks fuel like a tank. I mean, it just drinks. And I decided, I think I'm going to pull in here. So the, um, where were we? Okay, he said casino, but I want you to understand. <laughs> I wasn't in there rolling dice. I was trying to avoid that. Come on, baby, roll them sevens. We do need to roll sevens. <laughs> Number of perfection. Okay, so you understand there's a gas station there, okay, and a market. It was all closed down, but I knew that I could get out of the pump with my car, gas. So as I pulled in, did I pull in the wrong way too? Okay, another time. Won't confess that one. So as I pulled in, I swept around and I saw that there was a woman there. And I could just see her just kind of moving from pump to pump wherever there was a car. And I determined in my heart, okay, I'm going to go to the far pump right under the light. I was tired and I just wasn't sure what she was up to. So as soon as I got up to my pump, roll down the window, I saw the shadow coming and it was her. And I just took a deep breath and I looked at her and said, hi, how are you doing? And she wouldn't say anything, just reflectively looked down. She looked up, she looked over at a vehicle that had a gas tank on the hood and stacked up like the Beverly Hillbillies. I said, is that your car? And she wouldn't acknowledge anything. I said, how are you doing? Shrugged her shoulders. I said, you're stranded, aren't you? I said, what is your name? And she gave me her name. And I said, how old are you? I'm 34. She didn't look 34. I clearly remember 34 because when I was 34, that's when I was fully engaged with the activities of the Lord. I remember 34 like that. That's when I met Christy. I remember it like that. And so she had a hard life, choices that she had made. It was evident because of her teeth that very likely she came from the influence of drugs. But she wasn't high. I knew that. <clears throat> and I said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I can give to you. And she smiled. I said, do you know the Lord? And she nodded her head. I said, how long has it been since you've actually talked with him and fellowshiped with believers? Six years. You've got to get back with the Lord. And you need to go to a church. Where do you live? I think she said Arcata. I said, I'm going this way. And I don't know of anybody that's going that way. But I do know someone, the Lord, who can make provision for you. Now, 
So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start the gas on my car, but I'm going to pray for the Lord to give you a car through a ride. Do you trust him for that? And she nodded her head. So I prayed. And she looked at me again just with that intent eye of just need. And I thought, and I looked, and Christy's purse had been left in the seat. And I said, just a second. So I zipped open her purse and found her little wallet. And I look, I don't carry any of the cash. I'll go to her. <laughs> and I looked, and there were a couple of bills in there. So I pulled out a 20, and I said, here. I didn't see this in the vehicle, but I want to give this to you, and I want to pray for you as I give it to you. Can I do that? And she smiled, and I did. And then the car filled up, and she was off walking through the parking lot, across the street. And I said, you'll see the Lord's faithfulness. If you talk to him now, I've prayed with you, you'll see the Lord's faithfulness. The reason that I illustrate this is that all of us at any given moment in time can say, well, I didn't expect this, and I'm on my last dollar. Solomon was not on his last dollar. We'll look at what it meant actually in terms of economics where he was at. He is cited as being generous in what he did with it. And the call of the church is to be generous with the things that truly are of wealth, and that's truth. Had I just distributed to that woman a $20 bill or 40 whatever amount I had, it would have been worthless in her hands if it had not been given clear citation. This is from the Lord. This is for you. And I'm going to pray for you, though I cannot help you any further than where we are at now. Get back to church. Talk to the Lord. He'll make provision for you. I could say that as a matter of fact. And here's the fact. In the same way, 20 years earlier, I ran into a person who came into a coffee shop I managed, hungry, cold, and wanting to know if God had compassion for him. I served him a cup of coffee, big cup, gave him one of the Costco gooey cinnamon rolls, a bottle of orange juice, walked him out of the front of the Solid Rock Cafe, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. What's your name? My name's Luke. Great name, Luke. Let's pray. Lord, bless my brother in what you've given to him. Bless him, Lord, in his needs right now, where you want him to go and what you want to do in his life. And forgot about him. Probably heard the story. I forgot about him. He didn't forget about me. Because that very day, he got a ride. He never gets rides. He got a ride. That ride took him into Ashland. Ashland is where he began to fellowship, for I gave him instructions to do that. And in the time of the fellowship that he received, the growth in being nurtured in the word, he was raised up to be a youth pastor. He now is the senior pastor in Newport of South Beach 
Christian Fellowship. His name's Luke Frechette. By the way, if you guys want really awesome cow-covered Bibles, he makes them. But he's a senior pastor. He's actually very renowned and speaks at many conferences. But 20 years earlier, you would have thought, no hope for you, bud. That correlation is important. I'm not linking me with Solomon. I'm linking me with simply episodes in life in which as you really appreciate how rich you are in the Lord, what do you do with it when it's tested by how practically wealthy you are? What do you have? Let's say you have nothing. Do you have an opportunity and time to pray and trust the Lord? It's amazing to me. He never forgot me. I forgot him. But only to the degree when I was put into remembrance the miracle of what God did in his life. Okay, so let's get back to Solomon. Brevity, we're probably not going to get there. But let's go ahead and take a look at this. So you had a correlation with Revelation. I believe it's saying essentially back in Solomon's day, there will be a time in which economics will be the corrupting force within the world system, and it will be governed and played with by kings and lords and princes, but ultimately inspired by this beast that will be known as Antichrist. So you watch the world scene. You see how economics are going. We want better times. We want better leadership. Those things may be behind us, but there is someone who's in front of us, and there's somebody who's above us, and it's Jesus. We have to cling to that. We have to let go of the things that even we said, I don't even have. And all of a sudden, what? That's a purse? And so the resources of my wife were used as the resources from me, but we know who the source of that resource is. It's God. And wouldn't it be awesome if that lady comes to us someday and says, in a dark moment, when I was alone, stranded, when I was actually getting ready to make a decision, I made a decision not to lose my life vainly in taking myself out, but to lose my life, to take life with God. So Solomon, it says, as we move into this, besides having these 666 talents of gold, beside that from the traveling merchants, and it says from the income of traders and from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. King Solomon made 200 large shields, it says, of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. It's just showing you that with all of that, it went into anything. In other words, it was easily disposable. Nothing to necessarily worry about. It was that vast, which will happen. What do I do with this vast revenue? Huh, I'll make a shield out of it. I'll do something ornamental. I'll do something to speak of my legacies of creative design, whatever it is. Moreover, the king in verse 18 it says, made a great throne of ivy. 
Nothing wrong with that. Ivory. Not ivy. And overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Verse 20. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. He was extravagant. Lions, of course, would have pictures to the people, lion of the tribe of Judah, very likely. What we would call, and probably they knew back then, the king of the beasts. It was something to be very impressed with. Solomon had that as a part of his throne. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchants of the sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. That's regression. <laughs> Okay, I've done this with the gold. What about the apes and monkeys? Let's, uh, let's see if I can do something with them. We have scientists who are still wanting to do things with apes and monkeys related to us. You see, you know what? That's not really what we hear in the Word of God. That's not for us. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Verse 24, now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God, notice this, had put in his heart. God had put wisdom in his heart. That's irrefutable. But as God puts wisdom in a man's heart, woman's heart, then that man or woman needs to call upon the Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. Wait, I gave it to you. No, we need to say, Lord, in this application, let me exercise wisdom. You gave it to me. I'm calling upon you that I might exercise wisdom. And so they've come to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Verse 25, each man brought his present articles. Notice this, of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, at a set rate year by year. So this is an endowment. It's homage being paid by others. They saw Queen Sheba do it. They're going, this is probably what we need to do. It's the expectation of this king. In that day, when the kingdom age prevails, there will be an expectation of God of what we bring. And we bring nothing less than the best. Everything that we've got, whatever it is. For remember, that kingdom that will be on earth will have come out of the tribulation period they will need to have a correction. They will need to be ruled in perfect righteousness. They will be governed. And so year by year, these things were received. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king, verse 27, made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiev. The king's merchants brought them in Kiev or Kaveh at the current price. Verse 29, closing here. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150 
and thus through their agents they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Syria. The export means that they were selling to neighboring communities, and these neighboring communities were not necessarily spiritually linked at all. And so even Solomon at a time in which he had the advantage of both wisdom unknown by any man at that time, treasuries without limitation to where even silver was not even of great value, common. I mean, to make a drinking vessel out of gold, common. He would be bargaining with the communities of the world without necessarily the expectation of what it is they were to do. And that lists itself in the scriptures as compromise, becoming one of them rather than the influence that we have for them to become one of us. That's the deal. We can become one of something in the world system. The question is, as a believer and as a church, will they become one of us because of our generosity, not our bargaining powers? It's okay to look for a good deal, but the best deal is to give those who actually are doing quite fine and they're in the marketplace of ideas and they are able to have power with their money Right? We already know the power players on the scene today. At one time, we used to go, a millionaire? Now it's going, a billionaire? Keeps going up. A trillionaire? Really? Doesn't mean necessarily that they're better off. It means that that's what inflation drives them to be. The ceiling, the head ceiling increases. Doesn't necessarily mean they're better than the millionaires 30 years before them. They may be at great risk. So just listen to this so that you might understand what's going on if this were today's economy. I just did some simple math, and I think I'm okay with it. Positions, possessions, or divine concessions, that means allowances by God. What it is that we do with it is God then inserting himself into the situation, into the person's life. But a talent, which is what this is telling us, it's the means by which that was the measure the weight of something of value but two million would be basically the roundup of what we saw earlier of 666 talents it would equal in today's market about two million dollars just rounded down a little bit that multiplied out would come to two billion three hundred thirty two million okay so i can't appreciate what that would do. Would it fill the room? Would it fill the shopping center? No idea. It doesn't matter to me. I'm showing you what it would be in today's market if the two million, which is what a talent would represent, multiplied by six six six, it would come out in market value today, two billion three hundred thirty two million. The federal budget research this is fourteen Point seven trillion dollars. We add some more zeros to that. The federal budget, that means the working budget on a year basis is 14 trillion. That's a lot of money. Some might say, yeah, we're doing better than Solomon. Maybe. I don't think so. And by the way, when we get to chapter 11, Solomon's not going to be doing so good because the choices that he had to reflect the best of God is also allowed to be portrayed as the weakness of Solomon. 
who had great power, but he didn't have the heart of his father on Father's Day. Is our generation of youth seeing the heart that we have for God, and is it transferable as a treasury to them for the purpose of faith being exercised in literally the marketplace of those who are confused, those who are in the shadow zones, not living. All we can do is the best we can do, and that's all God's expectation is. He'll take the rest from there. I couldn't follow up on Luke after the coffee, the cinnamon roll, the orange juice, the prayer. I couldn't follow up on him, but you know what? He followed up in following the Lord, and the Lord did the rest. In doing what? Brought him into a position, gave him spiritual possession, and he did so because of an allowance which we say, wow, God, so cool are your concessions for me, your agreeability to let me exercise dreams and visions that honor you. I think that's great. Well, that takes you right now into what we would say the value of what Solomon contended with. So if I had to leave you with Proverbs, little wisdom markers, I'm going to encourage you. It's only briefly. I'll just give you a quick little verses. Go back to Proverbs 10. And what I'm wanting you to see is that these are pertinent to where we are. Solomon impressed the queen with bling. She paid homage to him. Now others are falling in line to render to him whatever he asks, whatever the market expectation is, makes him perhaps at that point in time dizzy with power and less devotional with humility like his father had. Very likely that's what it means. Wow, I've spent my money on everything. Ecclesiastes tells us how deeply he went into the exploration of how could he buy satisfaction in life which the book simply says, in vanity, he spent it all. He tried everything, only to come up empty. So, chapter 10. Let me move back here really quick. First verse, two, that I'm giving you. It's not actually number one. It's the second verse. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. That's your first marker. Chapter 10, verse 2. One more to go in that chapter. Go down to verse 22. It says this, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Sometimes my name is so rewarding to me. When I fish in my pocket and find nothing to bring up on the line, but I'm rich. Thank you, Lord. So weak in faith, you just had to name me rich that I would never doubt it. And he adds no sorrow with it. And so that's one of the things you can say. I'm a happy rich man. That's what God really wants of us. If you're a happy rich man, guess what? Then you understand that the concession of God and the wealth that you have is actually for you, the benefit of God to benefit others, your family, friends, the community, the church, however the Lord leads you. He's not asking for you to spill open your purse. He gives discretion. I discretionarily chose to give this woman a 20, not a 40. 
but I prayed for her, which increased the value of that allotment. Go to verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Her years at 34, I could see, were shortening on her. What did she hear? Fear the Lord. Talk to him again. Six years, go back to church so that you're not vulnerable to two other digits added to that. Don't find yourself left behind because you left the Lord or never had an authentic relationship with him. Chapter 11, verse 2. What's the problem with Solomon coming up in verse, chapter 11? What's the problem with us when we have so much? Here's the problem. When pride comes, then comes shame. But notice this. Here's the tagline. But with the humble is wisdom. As we seek God, as we humble ourselves before him, it says simply this, wisdom. Emphasized again. We're not wise guys. We don't think we got it all. But we can call upon God who gives us everything we need in the areas of employing knowledge or experiences with a divine, beautiful, clear directive on how to get through it, what to do with it. Verse 7, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. Eventually, whatever it is they worked for, whatever became their God in the areas of wealth, management of people, their expectation falls short when what event happens? Death. And whatever they thought they were gaining, they lose. And whatever they didn't commit to the Lord, they will never see again. An important revelation. I marked another passage, too, in fact, in this area. Verse 23. The desire of the righteous is only good. Zachary, it's good that we get gas right now. Okay. Zachary, that person doesn't look good. We've got to go around to the other pump. She's here. <laughs> oh, Lord, I desire good for her, that it might be good for me. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. They're always thinking something bad's going to happen. I deserve what I'm getting. They actually live in fear, and fear is what motivates them as opposed to the principle of faith, which pleases God. Verse 28 of this, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. I don't know how I brought ivy when I was trying to say ivory, but that's foliage. Maybe today it's ivy. And you're thinking, yeah, poison. No, ivy. It's actually amazing how it grows, what it does. Intrusive as it is, it's actually not bad at all. It's very beautiful. Manicured, it's really extravagant. It's not poison ivy. It's ivy. God uses that. I want ivory. Then enjoy your ivy. A bed of ivory. It's actually been written about. You can have clover. I think I'd take the ivy. Though it has those little squishy dark bugs. I know that clover, there's a chance that I'm going to get stung in that. 
Maybe the Lord would say, rejoice in the ivy, and the ivory is coming. For if you appreciate what God has given to you now, then it means with responsibility. You can appreciate and allocate what he gives to you later. Well, that's my summary in Proverbs right now. Hopefully and effectively giving you some imagery, economic warning, most importantly, spiritual sobriety. Lord, I want to live my life. I want to live it well. And I want to live it for you. Thank you for the pictures that you've given to us of men and women who had opportunity to live and to make a mark for you, but who may have been as well marked by the world and were less effective ultimately in their lineage. We all have a day of new beginnings. Could be that for all of us. We all have a moment in which we don't have to give up on somebody, even though we want to, even though I came close to it. How old are you? I'm 34. The Lord touched my heart. I remembered it so well. She wasn't doing well, but I was able to say, I'm doing better, and this is what I'm going to do. But I never do it without praying that they might know. I'm not a charity case. I'm somebody that wants to make a case for Christ in the moment that I have. And wouldn't it be great if she comes into this place? She said, I knew that this was the place in which on one given occasion, a man who probably didn't find me altogether impressive was impressed by the Lord that I sought, for he told me to. And I'm here. Cool. 